saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. It's, fa- it's fascinating to me how easily someone in one religion can find the fallacies and biases in another religion. I think that what's fascinating... I mean, your razor are sharp on your, your, your criticism of Islam here. Yeah, and, but what I find fascinating, Jeff, is that you recognize that with other religions, but you don't do it with your own. Cause I, that, I, may be, that may be the case. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's that confirmation bias coming up again. This is Apologetics Live. To answer your questions, your host from Striving for Eternity Ministries, Andrew Rappaport. All right. Well, we are live. Apologetics Live. Whoa, coming to whoa, whoa, you. What? whoa. What? Isn't this, this is matter of theology. This isn't. Apologetics Live. No, 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 no. This is Apologetics Live. It's Thursday night. It's 8 o'clock. We're recording live. No, we, Matter of Theology records on Thursday nights. Oh, yeah. But you're not live. But you are now. So how in the world did I end up here? Well, oh, wait. I I would like to thank you for inviting me onto my show. Well, the reason reason that I'm on here is because, well, it's Thursday night. We're live. And I think you had it on Matter of Theology podcast. Didn't you have... A thing where you had Chris, your co-host, saying that you weren't going to be around, but he ditched you to be in Florida? That's right. He did ditch me to go to Florida. Yeah. And so... I I mean, who does that? Exactly. So we had to do something, and so Mm -hmm. we're combining both Apologetics Live and Matter of Theology. That's right. Which, by the way, it was really just a ploy so that I could slip in and be the most returning guest to... Matter of theology. That's really what it's all about. But with that, I will bring in Dr. Silvestro and Pastor Justin, who are also part of the team here at Apologetics Live. Welcome to the Matter of Theology podcast as well. As a matter of fact, if I had a chance to go to Florida and skip out on anything with Andrew, I'd go to Florida. You know what? No, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Hold on, Drew. still get phone calls from Andrew while you were there. Hold on. For the record, for the record, I was in Florida. He skipped out. He was on his way to Florida, decided, no, I'm going to turn right around and head back home. Okay, yeah. just for the record, and we're, we'll 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 save why he did that on the second hour 
Um, just so that uh, we, we don't bring that into the matter of theology. They're, they're going to have to come listen to Apologetics Live to hear why Anthony turned around. Unless yeah, you want right. to share but, it, you know, I'll leave that up to Chris you. With Chris not being here, we had to get two extra guys to cover for Chris. No, actually, actually, we got, you, you know, because we have an, a, Probably more than that. another person because <laughs> we actually brought in from the Rap Report podcast, Bud, because he's able. Whoa. So, so it, we have four people to replace Chris. You know, when you got a guy like Chris that just has so much scriptural knowledge just right off the top of his head, I mean, I can't cover that. Okay, no, 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 so no, no, I no. need help. No, your co-host Chris has Thomas Watson on the top of his head. That's yes. that's about it. That, that, you know, it's Watson who it. had all the that's scripture. Right, yeah. Watson's the man. Yeah, you can't get Chris to stop talking about Thomas Watson. That is true. Yeah, don't don't get him started. So so what yeah. we we figured we'd do because uh, for Apologetics Live, and I should let folks know if you they want to come in, just go to apologeticslive.com. ApologeticsLive.com, and if you click the little duck, that's the StreamYard link, and that gets you in with us to be able to join us for tonight. So with that, what we're going to look to do tonight, though, is we want to basically start off, I, I, I hope this isn't anyone a shock to anyone, Drew, but um, I think we had an election that a lot of Christians are like all worried about. <laughs> Yeah, it's the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, this this was the one that we had so many of you know the Lord's anointed uh, <laughs> prophesy about this, and then that fell through. And, and then they had, they had to tell they're right, right? Yeah, that's right. And then we had all this QAnon <laughs> nonsense that was supposed to take place, and now neither one of them are trusted. Uh, but yeah, people are flipping out about this election uh you know trump isn't president anymore what are we gonna do the world's gonna gonna melt down uh america's gonna crumble because sleepy joe is now in the white house and who knows you know before you know full dementia sets in and the 25th amendment is invoked and 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 then we're left with kamala harris okay but there's there's two concerns that i seriously i have with with joe biden being in the white house one it's a much bigger basement. It's going to take him longer to come out. And two, I hope that he has Secret Service with him because he's going to get lost. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm just saying, you know, I, I could just see it now. Can someone find the president? We yeah. can't find him. Yeah, just let him draw himself a map with crayon. <laughs> well, now, wait a minute. In reality, don't they have a, don't they have an elevator into the skiff down there? And it's like a, a padded elevator, I believe, too. So I think this should be okay. Nice. I, I can't speak about that, but I do know someone that's been in the elevator. I'll just say that. <laughs> so, so let, I mean, look, there's a, there's a lot of Christians, I think, that are really, they put way too much hope mm-hmm. in, in a president, in, in hoping that a president was going to make this country more moral, which is really what I think a lot of them were looking for. I think that's called post mill, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and Drew is outnumbered here. Sorry. Not really. No, hold on. Not really. I just believe that the Great Commission is going to be successful. So if you want to call that post mill, we can call that post mill. I just believe in the victory of the gospel in the world. So carry uh, on. Yes, carry yeah. on. Yes. Yeah. 
you know, as long as that doesn't take seven dominions and uh, <laughs> now, yeah, now that I will, I will speak against. I'm not, I'm not yeah. about the seven, seven mountain mandate. And all that. Why not? Why? It works so good. Hey, quick shout. We got a, we, we got someone who's, uh, Ted is saying good afternoon from Sydney, Australia. God bless you brothers for great, for your great work. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. I'm, uh, I'm glad I can, you know, bring the great work, uh, to this show. <laughs> he's a humble guy and he's proud of it. Hey, and I, we should let folks know if they want to. Thanks for having me on. No problem. <laughs> I already no like it. No problem. Yeah, this is, this is the most humble show in podcast history. All right. I'm writing a book called, uh, humility be like me. Perfect. Yeah. That's a great title. Out, I found out the other day that, um, uh, somebody had said that, that one of the new ploys was to use the the fake book background um, from <laughs> Zoom, or to just uh, use a cover cover uh, deal for your back. And so, mm-hmm. what I did is I made sure to, uh, that 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 my background looked exactly like a prison. I well, make sure okay, like so so cell. There's no yeah. doubt. Yeah. yeah. So so, Bud, you you and I were recording earlier this week, actually Wednesday, yesterday, with with Phil Johnson, and he yeah. had a Zoom thing that he had where he had the background. It was it was looking like he was in prison. I was trying to convince him to to stay with that the whole time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that would have been good. But I, I'll give a let folks know if uh, if you're watching on YouTube and you want to make sure we answer any of your questions, make sure we not, don't miss it, or just want to show your support, there is a super chat button. So if you click on the little dollar sign and click that, you can ask a question that donates to Striving for Eternity, and um, that will that's a nonprofit, so you can count it as a tax write-off. And um, that is, shows your support, and we will always re- read what those say. So, um, so Ted's asking, can we put in a pre-book order for that book? <laughs> he wants a copy he wants to know how to be humble like drew so yeah that's a good book so, so well, let's you actually we do have a question here uh, okay facebook yeah, user and by the way for for folks who who do need to know uh if you're on facebook on apologizeslive.com there is instructions on how to get your name to show up so it doesn't say facebook user because i doubt your parents named you facebook and their last name was user <laughs> i'm just saying so <laughs> So, uh, Anthony, you want to read the question there? Absolutely. So, <clears throat> I have a question. Should, shirt, should churches consider church discipline for members who emphatically and consistently support wicked and godless policies, such as voting unapologetically for the Democratic Party? I struggle with understanding how to reconcile such a position with a biblical worldview, so I'm curious as to how elders should handle this. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of goes in line with the question that uh, or the statement that was made um, on one of Andrew's posts um, where, he, where he actually dealt with this entire situation. And somebody had made the statement that Andrew was a, um, a devil worshiper or something along that lines because he um, he actually uh, dealt with how Christians are supposed to respond in the situation of the president we have and whatnot. And, and I think it kind of goes along with that. Um you know, there, there are a lot of people who don't know the politics. They don't know the mm-hmm. uh, what's going on, and they don't understand it. You know, I've, I've talked to many people today. Uh, you know, I just can't believe that, uh, you know, Biden in, his, in 36 seconds, he signed 10 executive orders, and he took away the Keystone Pipeline, and he, he opened abortion. We didn't know that was going to happen. Well, if all the media you ever get is from the left-wing socialist media, the fake news, 
and, and things like that, you're not going to hear everything that's out there that's, that's talking the truth. And you get pigeonholed into you know, a narrative. And if that's all you ever hear, well, you think that everything that's, uh, you know, pie and sliced bread when it comes to, to uh, what they're doing. And so you're going to vote for it if you don't know where to search, you don't want to listen. Yeah, and that's for folks on For Matter of Theology. That is Pastor Justin Pierce mm-hmm. of Tennessee. Um, regular here at Apologetics Live, but I, I, you know, I think as I think about this, uh, we've done a couple of Apologetics Live shows on this, but I find it hard to believe that someone that professes the name of Christ could understand the Democratic Party and support it. Right, I agree. I agree. What if they don't understand? And so that's well, where I was going. There. And and that's the difference. I think I think that's where you have grace. I mean, you you have to understand that people are learning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, so what I would how I would answer that question in because you would do it in a I'm, in a post mill way kind of way. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, uh, if it's post mill, you, you you beat them until they submit. Yeah, that's, that's right. Part of that's right. Until faith gets infused in them. Until it's put in there. all the infusion. Yeah, you gotta so, have that. Uh, so so for the listeners. Uh, I'm not a pastor, but I am here with pastors. But you cosplay um, a pastor, right? Huh? But you cosplay a pastor. That's right. Oh, yes, just like Raphael Warnock. I did sleep at a Holiday Inn Express at some time in my life. Uh, but in, in talking about that, is is that a church discipline issue? I wouldn't say that's necessarily a church discipline issue. I would say that's a discipleship issue. That's a part where a pastor or an elder needs to take this person aside and actually break down what the Democratic platform is. Because at its core, the Democratic platform is nothing but the sins of Romans 1. So if you've got a pastor that understands that, they need to take this person aside and and they need to go through the sins of Romans one and explain how that relates to the democratic platform. And, and then so that they can see that. And that's more of a discipleship issue. than I would say a church discipline issue, a church discipline issue is something that relates to more of a personal ongoing sin that refuses to be repented of. Yes. This is almost close to bud. What we did on the rap report podcast when someone asked the question after we dealt with the subject of masks and they were being told they'd be disciplined out of their church if they yeah. didn't wear a mask yeah. because the church had a policy that you had to because they thought it was a law. So I, I think there are a lot of things that people are abusing church discipline with. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I think that, and I agree with what Drew has said. Uh, you want to show grace and you want to presume when you run into somebody like this that they need to be taught. Yeah. Maybe they genuinely don't understand. Now, once you go down that road of discipleship with them, you're going to find out pretty quickly, I think, whether or not they exhibit the very fundamental uh, description of what a disciple is. Are they willing to learn and react and submit to what Scripture would clearly teach? If they refuse to do that, then you might be migrating into a different area uh, that could eventually lead to discipline, but you know, from the outset, I think I think you approach it as a discipleship opportunity that someone needs to needs to be taught. Yeah. Well, but it's good that you agreed with Drew on his program. But <laughs> so Jeremy Howard gives a. Well, uh, actually, speaking of payment, here's uh, Jeremy Howard uh, threw five bucks our way. So here's a question. He gave a super chat: Is Michael Heisner's divine counsel teaching dangerous? Any any of you guys familiar with that? I'm not. I'm not. But I'm counting on you. Are you? Yeah, I'm um, counting on you. you. You know, like, everything about every, mm, everything. <laughs> no, no. My my default position is if it's somebody I don't know, they're dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so. Jack out views on creation, and so once I hear that, they're dangerous. Oh, there you go. So, What's his view on creation? Uh, very similar to Tyler Velo's. Ah, okay. 
So he he takes more of the the polemic argument for Genesis, or at least Genesis one and two. Well, I mean that's what they want to call it. Yeah. But, so yeah. so for, let me just give folks what that is in case Jeremy or others don't know that. So when it comes to the first two chapters of Genesis, you have a couple of different views. You have some that will say that there's actually teaching an old Earth view, um, and that the the Earth could be very old. Some that will try to say that it's teaching evolution, some that won't. You have the biblical position, which would be that it's clearly laying out a literal six-day creation and one day of rest, six, 24 rough hours of, of time. Um, and then you have the polemical or, or literary arguments. And what those are is they try to say that this is actually a, um, a polemic of the for the Jewish people against the Egyptians as they came out, and this is them giving a polemical argument. So that that's, I for some people, I can't say it's for all people, but for, for at least for some people, I think it's a way out of having to deal with whether a young or old earth. It's a way of just saying, I don't deal with the issue. It just It's just a polemical argument. It's not trying to teach whether the earth is old or young. So, um, But Jeremy, I would have to uh, get a hold of the book and... and uh, read through it to, to be able to give you a better answer. Sorry about that. But let, let's talk, Drew, about theology. Yes. That's kind of your your podcast, Matter of Theology. So in a matter of theology, how do we deal with some of the things that we're looking at in our culture as far as the way some Christians are viewing the this whole election and now President Biden. Yeah, well, I mean, you touched on it when we first started, and that's where people put all their trust and all their faith in the position of president uh, rather than in the sovereign God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. So when people look at whoever the president is, they start uh, evaluating how things in the country are going to go, and then they base really their faith off of that. So uh, they view America as the New Jerusalem, the Republican Party as the apostles, the Democrats as the Pharisees, and the president as the savior. Um, So what they're really doing is they're viewing America, they're reading America into scripture. uh, And and that's the wrong way to do it, right? America isn't the savior. America is a nation that will rise and fall like any other. But what we need to do as Christians is we need to say, okay, this is a man that's raised up by God. And we we first need to understand that God raises up the leaders. He just uses the means of the vote for the people to raise up the leader. God raised up Pharaoh, right? So he raises up the leaders in our nation and he will raise uh, good leaders to bless the nation, or he will raise wicked leaders to judge a nation. Now, what we as Christians need to do is go, no matter who is in the seat of president, God is on the throne, right? Christ rules and reigns now, and we need to be serving him, not the president. We need to be looking to Christ as the savior and that whoever is sitting in the position of president, God put them there for his glory, and we need to serve God through that. Whatever whatever that may mean uh, or whatever that may look like. So say we have uh, say we have something coming down uh, that's on the horizon like the Equality Act. 
the Equality Act is, is really going to punish people for speaking out against things like homosexuality and transgenderism. Well, what do we do as Christians? Well, we don't cower and we don't hide and we don't run, right? We don't, we don't go into our Christian ghettos where we feel safe. We actually say, uh, no. We are going to stand on scripture alone and we're going to proclaim the truths of the gospel, regardless of what it costs, because that's how uh, that's how the church advances. The church has always advanced and done its greatest work when the time seemed the darkest. Okay, look at the the first century, the the, the establishment of the church through the apostles going out and and preaching the gospel. There was mass persecution going on all over the place. Okay, Nero was, was taking Christians and burning them for his garden parties. Okay, so persecution going on all over the place, but the gospel spreading like wildfire. You have the Reformation, right, where, 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 where we're reforming worship. We're breaking away from, from, from uh, Rome, and Christians are being persecuted. The gospel spreads. It, the Reformation went from, it went from Germany it went to Switzerland, it went to France, it went to England, it went to uh, uh, Scotland. It came all the way across the pond through the Puritans here to America. Um, when it seems the darkest, that's when Christians should actually rejoice because now there's ample opportunities to evangelize and spread the gospel. Now you don't have to go searching for them. You preach the gospel, they're coming to you. And now that's just more people to, to preach the gospel to. Uh, so, so how Christians should view everything that's going on right now is we should say, well, I'm going to rejoice because now these are, these are more opportunities for me to evangelize and for me to stand upon the truth of, of, of God's word. Yeah, and I think that, you know, this, and this may be a good question to bring in now because there's someone that's asking this question because this is really underlying a lot of what you're saying. It, Joe, Joe asked this question on Facebook. Why are people indifferent to doctrine? I'm Reformed, but I have an SDA, which stands for uh, Seven-Day Adventist, SDA pastor friend who I disagree with is not big on doctrine, which is troubling. Um, so let me, let me first, before you jump on that, Drew, I'll just put it this way. I think part of what the reason an SDA pastor isn't going to be interested in, in uh, theology is because they have bad theology, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay? Um, and that might be why, is their focus isn't so much on the theology as much as it is on other things. But yeah. the, he brings up a, a good point, uh, just ha- so it's up there. The, the, why are people indifferent? So let me, let me first kick this off to Drew, and then to uh, I want to ask Anthony Sylvester, Dr. Sylvester, what he thinks on that as well. So, so Drew, why, why do you think people are indifferent toward theology? <laughs> Yeah, people are indifferent to to doctrine because people don't like for their view or their specific doctrinal teaching to be viewed as wrong, right? That's why, you know, today there's many Christians believe or professing Christians that we can talk to and we'll say, well, that's how you view it. That's how you view that. And we've 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 come into this place of relativism. Well, if if relativism is true, then you can't know anything because there's no standard by which to measure anything. So people don't like discussing doctrine or they're indifferent to doctrine because they don't want to actually have to examine what it is they believe. Doctrine divides. Mm -hmm. That's right. Thank God. Yeah. (laughs) You know, well, actually, you you bring that up and there's a. uh, <clears throat> there's an interesting thing about doctrine. It does divide. 
but it also unifies. And, and people mm-hmm. will always sit there and say, well, I posted um, <clears throat> the quote that, we, that we'll have on, on the Rap Report podcast that drops on Sunday. Uh, I was asking Phil Johnson, you know, what do we view, how do we deal with these times that are, we're looking at right now? And there's a lot of Christians that are concerned. And, and he goes, well, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a Calvinist. Which I thought was a great line. <laughs> he knows God's yeah. sovereign, and I had someone that responded, going, "Why can't we all just put these doctrine things on, like on the side? Like it's just not that important." And my response was, "Is that your doctrine?" Yeah, right. And like yeah. he doesn't even realize he's trying to teach me something <laughs> about how I should treat doctrine, ignoring yeah. the fact that he's doing a doctorate so he then he then was like you know he's like you are you just looking to have an argument i said no i'm trying to show you have a failed argument he goes i'm not trying to make an argument i said okay so you don't understand what doctrine is nor do you understand what an argument is (laughs) yeah yeah doctrine just means teaching right so but it unifies as well you're just indoctrinating people well either i'm indoctrinating them or you're indoctrinating one of us is yeah Yeah, one of us is yeah But, but let's look we got five of us here okay we, we obviously all don't agree on our doctrine. I mean, four of us have a proper view of end times, and, and then there's yeah. Drew. Um, and I was actually going to point that out myself. I thought, you know, it, it was spectacular, all that, st- all that stuff that Drew was just, you know, I mean, just the vitriol, just the power, and, and, and the, the we're going to win. And I saw, this, I saw this thing where these guys were saying, saying that, the, you know, dispensational, you know, you're, you're the escape, escape artist. And I understand why people say that. I do, because actually the church I grew up in, um, they would always teach, you know, it's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. But don't worry, before anything bad happens, Jesus comes and takes you home. And I, and, and I said, for the longest time, I was like, man, I'm just so ready for that. I'm just so ready for that. Just, you know, Lord, take me home. Nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. And then I did something that made everybody mad. I read the Bible. <laughs> And when you I read the Bible, <laughs> I know when I read the Bible, I, I, what, what I hope it was just the read letters, though, just the red letters. Just read. But actually, what, what I did is I, I read the Bible and it actually informed me that, no, we're not going to our, our own personal um, uh, fight and our own personal jihad and our Christian jihad or whatever. We're not going to run in and take over. We're not going to uh, take dominion. We're not the ones going to be doing this. It is God himself that's going to do it, and Christ himself that's going to do that for his own glory and by his own power. Actually, he tells us when he's going to return, what it's going to be like. He says, for as it is in the days of Noah and the time of Lot, that's the way it'll be when the Son of Man returns. And I haven't, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't seen any demons running around yet. You know, I mean, I know we've probably seen some demon-possessed people, but not like what we're talking about with, you know, Lot and Noah and the things that are going on with that. The, we haven't seen that level of, you know, national worldwide depravity um, to that point yet. And it's going to get it's worse. It's coming. It's uh, coming. Yes. But here's the thing. I, I want to point this out, though, so we see. We have five of us here that don't all agree theologically. Mm-hmm. And yet, what does our doctrine do? It, it doesn't divide us. It's actually unifying us. Right. Because even though we have our differences, we know where those differences are. And yeah. yet the core issue of how we come to Christ, we have the same. That's unity. That yeah. doctrine gives us unity, even though we have some differing views. Right. Now, if I can speak into that a little bit, uh, some of the best and most edifying conversations you can have are with believers who hold to a slightly different doctrine than you, you know, kind of like we do. Because what does that do? 
it drives us to the scriptures and it takes us into deep dives into the scriptures so that now it's not re- our, our discussion isn't really about, you know, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And I just beat you over the head back and forth. Now our, our discussion goes, let's go to the scriptures and let's unfold the scriptures. So we're, so now we're, we're all being edified just by diving into the scriptures. That's, that's incredible. That That's, I totally agree. And as soon as you repent of that position, you're taking, we're all going to be in perfect fellowship. And so, so now, I, you know, I wanted to, I, I did say I wanted Dr. Silvestro to answer that. So Dr. Silvestro. He took off. Oh, oh, oh look, an empty yeah. chair. You know, he's, this, he's probably this, gone off to repent. Look, yeah, he went off to repent of his, his bad teaching. You know, this reminds me of the, the, the debate that I had with a black Hebrew Israelite. And I debated an empty chair because no one would show. <laughs> oh, come on, Mike. So, <laughs> Mike <better> <laughs> uh, for, for those who don't get the joke of, of, of either of those. So I, I had a bunch of black Hebrew Israelites that challenged to debate me. But every time we'd set it up, they would disappear. They wouldn't show up. So we finally set up a debate. And I just said, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And the moderator introduced me. I did my opening. He goes, I'm going to let the black Hebrew Israelite introduce himself. And we put up an empty chair. And uh, so I actually debated an empty chair. And uh, we had someone come on to this show a couple weeks ago on Apologetics Live. And he wanted to debate me. And um, yeah, he, just, he, he never came in. He just sat in the private chat calling me Mike the whole time. My name says Andrew, like right down there. <laughs> But how successful were you with the empty chair? I didn't see that. So, <laughs> well, it, he put it. Well. He, he gave a really good argument, but he, it was it was a little empty in the end. I gotcha. Okay. So, oh, oh, look, there's there, Doctor Silvestro's back. So now that we're done making fun of Doctor Silvestro, maybe he can answer the the question and stop being such an empty suit. Um, <laughs> oh so, wow! Oh man! So. Anthony, he'll, he'll repent later. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think doctrine is so important? I'm asking you because you you just last night did a whole um, a whole talk about the issues of, of our, our social system and things we see in responding to social justice. Is theology important in, in these matters? Well, you have to unmute yourself. He's a professional at this, folks. Don't there worry. <laughs> Now, here's the issue is what is our standard of truth, right? This is we, anytime we, we decide anything or we think about anything, I should say, we have to go back to what the ultimate standard is. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, our ultimate standard is always the Bible. And so when we talk about doctrinal issues, so this could be among the cult Christian cults out there versus what we would in general believe about the gospel, or we talk about the issues of last night, social justice, and going through why is homosexuality wrong? Why is transgenderism wrong? Why are so many of these social issues wrong? Well, the standard is not our personal opinions. Our standard isn't laws of society or what government says. Our standard has to go back to Almighty God. So, so that was the context last night in working through social issues and how we teach people to use the Bible as their source of truth. Having said that, let's go back to the question regarding Seven Day Venice. Here's my biggest problem. It's a cult. Amen. And unfortunately, way too many Christians don't know that or don't understand that. Right. And I run into this issue all the time with with my pet peeve, Roman Catholicism. So invariably, almost everywhere I speak, when it's not in a specific church, like a Baptist church, almost anywhere I speak, like 
what I've been doing the last couple of Wednesday nights in this large gathering, there's always Catholics in the crowd because they've been welcomed by other Christians who say, who think that they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. The Catholics tell you that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so nobody thinks to look at the doctrine, look at the issues, look at what the gospel is according to the Bible and what the false gospel is according to Roman Catholicism. Well, we see the same thing with, with Mormons. We see the same thing with Jehovah's Witnesses. We see the same thing with Seventh-day Adventists. They're just really, really sneaky about it. And so that's my first issue is Christians need to start waking up to these cults that are out there. And they need to see, they need to understand what the gospel is, how to defend the gospel, and then understand how to talk to these other Christian or to these Christian cults. And I'm seeing a cluck commander that rather than playing with chickens tonight, he has got a, a pretty interesting book. And, and I should probably tell a story about this book because, Andrew, you know about this, but you don't know about the, the, uh, the update. So last week I spoke at this, this large group and I did a talk called uh, morality rights and the proper role of government. And so when we want to understand how do we properly interpret Romans 13, first Peter two, we have to go back to why did God establish government in the first place? God established government as a way to protect our rights. And where do rights come from? Well, they're tied to God's morality and where's morality come from Well, they're tied to God. So it's, it's a really interesting chain to, to talk through. Having said that, I get done with my talk. I, I advertise my book and Andrew's two books. And I had somebody come up to me after the, after the live Q&A. People just come up to you and ask you questions. And so one female kind of waited to the end, and she comes up to me, and she says, Hey, you know, I got a question for you. How do you know that everything in this book is true. And I said, well, you know, my ministry partner, he's, uh, he spent, so thank you. Thank you, Laura. He spent 12 years, 14, 14, <laughs> short, sorry. <laughs> so he spent 12 years, really it was 14 years <laughs> studying the doctrines of these cults. And he took what he learned, went to leaders of those cults to say, Hey, am I representing your religion's rights? And every one of them signed off on it. And Andrew published it in his book. So I explained this to her and she says, well, you know, I think there's a couple of errors. And I said, well, where? And she goes, well, in this section on LDS, I said, interesting. What do you think's wrong? And uh, she started to talk. And then I said, by the way, are you uh, LDS? (laughs) And she was. So I had an opportunity to witness to her now for about 15 minutes. Mind you, she's at this group that is largely Christians and patriots, um, but they get Catholics in there. They get apparently a Mormon in there and then a few others. So she was there. She asked me those questions. I witnessed to her hardcore for 15 minutes, told her it's a cult, told her all kinds of stuff that she needs to get right with God and she needs to repent of her trust in the real Jesus. And uh, she she ended up leaving after that. And that was fine. We, we parted on, on good terms. So I go speak at the same group last night. And the event organizer comes up to me and says, hey, you know, you asked me about this this girl, um, Nicole. And, uh, and she says, I don't know who she was. I don't know where she came from. But last night, my friend said, hey, did you meet my friend Nicole who is there? Because she talked to your speaker about her religion, Mormonism. And thank you so much. He spent with the time he spent with her. That's a, she's now really questioning 
what her beliefs are. All right. Well, that's great. So I said, praise God for that. And I said, Hey, if my phone number, my wife's phone number, we'd be happy to meet her for coffee, whatever we have to do. But it's a wonderful, wonderful to see. And here's the thing is that we have to be willing to have these conversations, these hard conversations with people. It is way too easy for us to say, Oh, well, you say you believe Christ. Okay, cool. You must be good. You must be that one Catholic that is, that is okay. You must be that one Mormon. It seems okay. And it's not. Well, especially, especially now. Um, hey, listen, we, we got a question that came in. Uh, Matt Slick from Karm.org says, what's the topic? Well, we, we were going to talk about Matt Slick and all the bad theology. We were talking doctrine and how it you know causes division. And, and that's Matt Slick, right? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, now he's and look, he even says he says, ah, sounds good. Very worthwhile topics. <laughs> so, you know, that, that is a great example of just grabbing two. Compl- that is called proof texting right there, folks. I grabbed two se- totally different comments out of context and slammed them together. <laughs> I'm going to hear that from Matt tomorrow. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, the, the thing, though, I think when, as we look at the, the election, and by the way, Anthony, that, that is, that's cool that I got to, to hear the follow-up to that. Um, yeah, and now that, we're yeah. waiting to hear the rest of the the follow-up, you know, um, but here, here's the thing. We have a lot of people that I think have invested way too much time. James Watkins, Flying Demon Babies is a topic. For folks who don't know, Flying Demon Babies are going to have to go to Genesis 6 and look at Nephilim and then listen to Pastor Frank Mullison <laughs> to get that inside joke. But yeah. so, so here's the thing. They became aliens, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> well, if they become aliens, then, then Matt Slick's going to love that. He, you know, and he'll, he'll buy into it. <laughs> so, so he, here's the thing: when we look at this, we I see a lot of people who have invested way too much time, too much energy into politics. Um, I did yeah. last week. Bud and I on the rap report, we did mm-hmm. one on on political activism, and I put in I put the link there um, to that to the website. If you go to strivingfraternity.org and just search for political activism, but it's it's very interesting that that really hits it. And the one thing that people really get upset with in that article is that I asked the question, do Christians know the Republican Party's message better than the gospel message? Mm-hmm. I get more heat on that one line in that article, like every four years. You know, and and it, it, it makes me wonder, I mean, it's like, Bud, you and I just interviewed Phil Johnson from Grace to You. And one of the things he mentioned is that MacArthur's book on... Um, on well, government, government can save, save you. you. Yeah, government can't save you is the least popular book that he has. So you know wow. what you what you end up seeing is that there's a lot of people that don't want to have a biblical view mm-hmm. of of government as a from a Christian perspective. And so, Drew, I know you've been you've been kind of thinking about this for a bit. And I know Bud and I've talked. We've done two shows on the rap report on this, but. What what is <laughs> you're holding up death of death? We're gonna get to that. We, we have that we have that coming. Um, I just didn't want to forget it. No, I have I have it up over here. Don't worry. And by the way, I see Phil in the, in, in the backstage, and he was holding up the book. What do, what do they believe as well? So kudos to Phil. Um, <laughs> here, let's we'll, we'll put him in. So there he is. See, he's gonna come in in, in a little bit because he's got a question for us. But when when we look at this. Drew, and we think about the, the Christian and the relationship we should have to government. Mm-hmm. What, what relationship should we have to government that, um, as a Christian? And, and because we're seeing a lot of Christians that are really nervous about things going on right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
we've been saying theology counts and matters. So how, how does that help us in times of that could cause anxiety like this? Yeah. I mean, our relationship to government, you know, and, and it was mentioned earlier, um, you know, Romans 13. Um, and, and that's been over 2020 with the whole COVID stuff and the shutdowns. Almost every pastor was saying we need to adhere to Romans 13. Um, but w- w- the government is put in in position by God, raised up by God to to wield the sword. Uh, of justice. So, so they are to, uh, they are to punish evil and they are to act righteously, but they're to do that according to God's standard, to God's law. And, and our law system is actually set up, um, through English common law, which King Alfred, you know, established that basically just by the book of Deuteronomy using that. So, but our relationship to the government, we should say, okay, when government acts justly, we need to, we, we should follow and submit to government. So, you know, a good example would be like John MacArthur, when all this COVID stuff first happened, they didn't know the extent of what was going on. They, all these reports were coming out. And so John MacArthur faithfully said, okay, we don't know the extent, but we're going to submit to what our authority, our governing authorities say out of, because due to Romans 13, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, and so they did that. But then once it started coming out that what they were saying wasn't actually true, they said, okay, well, we're not going to follow that anymore. We're, we're going to, we're, we're going to open up. We're going to stand, we're, we're going to continue to preach the gospel. We're going to, you know, people just started showing up because they missed the fellowship and the, and, and things like that. And then the government tried to shut down the church. Um, and, and then people were saying, well, he's not adhering to Romans 13, but he did initially. So he initially submitted to them and what they, they requested of them uh, because they, they didn't know. But once it started coming out that it was just fraudulent numbers and everything like this, um, they said, okay, we're going to serve God rather than the government. And ultimately that needs to be our relationship. We need to, we need to serve God not serve government, but we need to acknowledge when government acts righteously, we need to, uh, or in what appears initially, as in the case of John MacArthur did, in the best interest of our neighbor, so that we're loving our neighbor, uh, then we submit to them. Uh, But going back to something that you said earlier, um, people, Christians, professing Christians, they are more interested in political discussion and political dialogue than they are Bible dialogue. Um, I've had people say uh, that they hate debating the Bible. So they'll debate me about not debating the Bible (laughs) and then they'll go to debate politics all day on Facebook. And, And I go, what's wrong with you? Right. Politics is not your savior. The gospel is your savior. Do you have proper doctrine? Do you know this Jesus that you claim to follow? Let's talk about these things and then let's address the politics. Um, because th- th- there's, there are so many people that, in, that adhere to the Republican Party as the savior. And, and just for the listeners, I'm going to say the Republican Party is not the Christian Party. Amen. Okay, it's not. Uh, so, so stop looking to the Republican Party to be your savior and, and as the party of God. It's not. Uh, but we need to restructure our priorities. If you care more about 
debating and dialoguing about politics than you do uh, teaching the word of God to your children, there's a problem. Amen. There's a huge problem and you need to reorganize those priorities. And so, so we've viewed government as the top thing, politics as the top thing that we need to be discussing. And it's not, we need to first be discussing the gospel, Christ, God, and then how we are to live, uh, submitting to God first. And then how does the, how do we submit to the government in light of, of submitting to God? Well, I don't know if everybody's noticed or not, but if, um, if you've been following anything, you've noticed that uh, we don't actually have two parties now. We actually have one party and then the other, uh, if you want to call it the offshoot of that one party, is just there to tell us what we want to hear. And I don't yeah. care which side you're on. You know, and the thing is, is, is what I've noticed is when you have you've had some people that have come in that have, have been um, uh, attempted at being uh, astute or righteous of uh, doing what was right, um, you have the never Trumpers and you have the never, you know, whatever, whoever you want to call it. It doesn't have to be Trump. It can be anybody and say, you know, I'm not going to adhere to, adhere to this person because they're not, um, they're not uh, godly enough or they're not, mm-hmm. you know, politically correct enough or, or, you know, all of the different positions that are being said. Um, I keep going back to Daniel. I noticed that in Daniel that he submitted and that he submitted to the government, to the authorities. Mm-hmm. And Nebuchadnezzar was uh, much worse of a tyrant than anyone yeah. Uh, that we've had. Uh, he killed anybody he wanted to. He lifted up anybody he wanted to. He abased anybody he wanted to. He did anything he wanted in all of his province, which was the whole world at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it was given to him by God to do so, Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 3. Um, you, you see that, that God was the one that gave him that right and authority and charged him with that. And that's the example that we see that uh, you know, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that you are the one who has been put in place by God, mm-hmm. and yet Daniel would never submit to Nebuchadnezzar or anyone else trying to force him into uh, a worship or a pagan uh, worship or any, anything that would cause him to compromise his faith. Mm-hmm. And that's where we stand. Uh, Old and New Testament tells us that exact same thing. You know, I, I think it's you know a theonomic view that says we have to have the absolute perfect, you know, uh, theocracy or the theonomic uh, president or whatever else. Uh, and I'm not blaming all theonomists, but, but I'm saying a lot of them, a, a lot that I've talked to, uh, they will come down to this. I will never vote for so-and-so because they don't fit that dynamic. And I say, wait a minute, hold on. We want to find the most, uh, most upright person that we can find for leadership in our context. Because you think about it, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't ever voted into office. Right. Right. We get the privilege of voting, mm-hmm. whether it's corrupt voting and, and, and all of the Dominion voting systems and everything else have have done away with all that. You know, that's another debate. But we get the privilege of voting right now. And some places mm-hmm. don't. Right. But even yeah. whether we do or not, we need to to pray for and hope for the best government officials that we can yeah. see that God would bring in. And, and one last point, and I'll, I'll be quiet for a minute. But uh, Andrew has, has said it many times, now that Biden is the president, by hook or by crook, however he is president, we need as Christians to be praying for him, for his salvation, yep. um, and for uh, Kamala Harris, the, for her salvation. Mm-hmm. And we need to be praying that, that God would use them for his glory and yep. our good, and that we're able to proclaim the gospel in whatever situation we're in, yep. you know. 
Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. So, so if you it, listeners, if you want a, a, a quick summary of the two party system, the Democrats and the Republicans, the Democrats want to steal your money. The Republicans want to pass legislation to steal your money slowly over six years. Okay, that's so right. it's the same goal. <laughs> yeah, preach, preach, but, preach. but here, here's the thing. Let me let me wrap this up, and then we got some other things we want to do. Uh, we have some stuff that for matter of theology to do. Uh, but I, the way I see this, Drew, is I see this as there's far too many Christians that are trying to make America moral again, and it mm-hmm. never was. That's the thing. They don't want to make it righteous. And that's, that's the real, I think the real yeah. underlying issue that we have here is as Christians, we want to see America righteous, yeah. and they want to see America moral. And there's moral. two different ways you go about yeah. doing that. If yeah. you want morality, that's okay. Legislate it, go to the government and that's where you go. But if you want righteousness, you go to Christ and you yeah. share the gospel. Right. So, so the reason uh, we're not seeing any, either of those take place in our country is a failure of the church because the church has quit preaching the gospel from the pulpit. And then the people are not equipped to take the gospel into their everyday lives and preach the gospel. Yeah. You know, so, of course, as an as an addendum to this, and I agree with you guys on on all this stuff. So, Drew, and this is a lot of stuff I've been teaching on in what you just said about a proper view of Romans thirteen. There's one one point we have to really make sure we understand: the government has no business in the church. Right. Amen. That's right. And it's it's both biblical and and in America, it's also guaranteed in our constitution. So, you want right. to ultimate Romans thirteen? It's there. Right. So, once the government starts to interfere in our church and our way to worship, when they start to try to um, be the leader over the pastor who's mm-hmm. the leader of the church, we got problems, and that's right. where we have to we have to be able to push back and say this is not a righteous government. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I go that far in terms of what we need to be doing and protecting ourselves, because then then we have the ability for pastors who who understand that right to continue to teach their their people mm-hmm. right to go out and share the gospel the way they're called to do. Last right. year is an absolute disgrace on the church that uh, that the church was literally paralyzed across the country and people were paralyzed in their pajamas on Sunday mornings if they even decided to watch church. So it's it's yeah. it's, it's terrible to think about. I'll say one other thing too. One of the things that was that's been disconcerting to me in a lot of the groups I've been speaking in over the last couple of months is that there are there's a lot of patriots who are not Christians, a lot of Christians who are patriots first. Yep. yep. And those groups look almost the same. Yes. Yes. And so when right. I, yep. I've been teaching lately, I've been having to pull people back and say, Hold on a second. <laughs> Your master is not government. Amen. Your master is not a political party. Your master is God. <laughs> Your master is his his book. <laughs> and that is what we are to be going by with everything that we do. And so the reason why we can be patriotic is because God guarantees the right that we're also guaranteeing our constitution. Correct. <laughs> There's that connection. It's just, you got to get the order right first. It's God. Yeah. Yes. That's right. First. <laughs> that's right. Well, let, you know, Drew, there's something you and I got to, got to do here. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to put everyone else in the backstage just for a little bit here while, while we take care of some matter of theology business. Yeah. So now you can quit, you can stop yelling at me. Yeah. Because you, you, you had a, a, a giveaway. Why don't you describe your giveaway that you had on matter of theology? Yeah. So the giveaway we did was we're giving, uh, 
to three winners a copy of The Death of Death and The Death of Christ and The Mortification of Sin, both works by John Owen, and they're uh, two works that every believer needs in their library. Uh, so we we had these extra copies, and so we said, well, let's just do a giveaway through the show. Um because we want to bless people with giving them these works. Uh, and so we reached out to you or, I, well, we had the idea and then you reached out to us uh, <laughs> just to get things right. Uh, and then basically you've been staying on top of us about doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, we, we have a giveaway. And uh, so the, the nice thing about this is the computer generates it. So you have, from the looks of this, almost 50 entries or 50 people that entered and almost 750 entries. Now, I did see you had, yep. you had one person who really wants to win. They're, they're, they're like a quarter of all the entries. This person really mm. went out. But um, so let's let's hit the button and see. And our first winner is Chris Honholds. Chris Honholds yeah. won. Hey, there you go. There we go. How did Chris Honholds get in here? I don't know. I think I think I entered him. Okay. The second okay. winner is Oh, you didn't tell me I can't put it in that only one person can win once. Chris Arnold's once again. Chris Arnold's again? Yeah. Okay, let's see. Three times. Chris is a three time winner. He gets them all. <laughs> that is, what is he going to do with with all those? That's basically what happens. Chris Honholds wins any anything that goes. Let's go for real now. <laughs> that was that was fake. That was just for Chris's benefit. All right. So we have we have three people to pick from, and we'll we'll use uh, whether they're verified or not. That means Chris Honholds, since he didn't verify, can actually win this. <laughs> so three three winners. Ready. <clears throat> So we click the button. This will be funny if Chris actually wins. Did someone say he, they knew that was going to happen with Chris Arnold's? <laughs> All right. Well, one, one name we're going to have to disqualify because it was me and I was in there to test. <laughs> All right. So with that, the first winner is, drum roll please. And Anthony, you're not going to like this one. Donald Jacks. Donald Jacks is one of the winners. The second winner is Travis Lawson. Travis Lawson is the other winner. And then I have to pick someone that replaces me. Travis, my son's name is Lawson. And the third is Elaine. No last name. But we have the email, so do not worry. Yep. We will get a hold of you. So Get a hold of you, and we will get your address, and we will send those in the mail. All right. And so uh, we have just before we, we end the the Matter of Theology podcast, uh, I'm going to bring Phil in here. He has a question that um, it may, may work out well as a teaser to have some of the Matter of Theology want to hear what Drew's answer will be on Apologetics Live. I don't know, because it may have something to do with something hey that you know is interesting to Drew. Phil, how are you? <laughs> I'm... I'm doing good. I'm just reading a really good book here. Um, what do they believe? I like that book. It's, it's right there. Look, I just started, huh? so. You know what? Put that you down you, yeah. and pick up some Van Til. Uh, it'll do you better. Oh. Van Til. I've been wanting to read Van Til. You can read Clark, too. <laughs> yeah, well, if you can read Van Til and understand it, you get kudos because he's not yeah. easy. Okay. So, Phil, what, what question did you have for us tonight? Well, I have a family in Canada, and they're under shutdown orders. And people are getting huge fines for breaking one little rule, mm. walking in the wrong place or to get groceries at the wrong time, crazy things. Uh, there's pastors up there who are being fined and threatened to jail for keeping their churches open. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to encourage my family. They're Christians. 
um, how do I encourage them? Uh, how do we prepare for things like this that will probably come in the near future here? Mm. See, right here's where we should just cut it off of matter of theology <laughs> so that they have to come over to Apologetics Live to hear Drew's answer. But we'll see where Drew, where Drew decides to cut off so, his podcast. So, so is your question, how do, how do we prepare for that here in America? Uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> now, I don't think that will happen here in America just because uh, constitutionally they can't do that. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Did it, oh, did sorry. He, did I get yeah, to? Did, did you not see what Pelosi did with with the uh, you know State of the Union speech? She's ready to do that with the Constitution too. She doesn't mind ripping that no. up. Yeah, well, none of the none of the liberals do. That's why they they think uh, we actually need a new Constitution. Um, AOC has said that, um, but I would say you keep meeting. Uh, you, you serve Christ. Uh, you keep meeting mainly because going back to Romans 13, Romans 13 is we are to come under submission under our highest governing authority. What is our highest governing authority here in this land right now? It's a document called the Constitution. So the Constitution puts restrictions on the government for doing such those things, um, which is why Dr. MacArthur opened up again and other churches really didn't even close. Uh, there are, are some smaller churches that we don't even, you know, know their names because they didn't get recognition uh, news coverage that didn't even close. Uh, so I would say you keep meeting you know the people need a place to go where there where hope is preached and the gospel is proclaimed where there can be that fellowship and that unity uh because w once you start closing things down and you start shutting people off that's when people start panicking and they start getting depressed and they start uh freaking out about stuff no we need unity we need fellowship i mean the christian walk is one that is not done alone it's one that's done in fellowship so we need to gather together as often as we can so if they threaten that here uh, in America, you keep meeting because our constitution prohibits uh, the federal government from doing those things. All right. So, Drew, just to, to give you a chance to close out your show, we're going to continue with Apologetics Live. But any anything you want to do to close out Matter of Theology? Maybe let people know that eventually Chris is going to make it back from Florida where he's been just basking in the sun on the beach, I'm sure. Bud likes that because Bud's, Bud's like, here. yeah, Bud's, <laughs> Bud seems to think that Florida's always sunny, but I went down there and there was no sun and it was cold. He blames it on me, but <laughs> Andrew just has a way of bringing the cold uh, with him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but you know, uh, you know, matter of theology, we. We used to put out uh, episodes every week. Uh, that's going to be slowing down uh, now just because I'm doing – I'm going to be pulled away, focusing on some, some other things. I'll be in sporadically, but Chris will be uh, the main host. Um, with with doing that and coming up with topics and having guests and things like that. Um, so I'll be in and out, but Chris will be uh, the main host from here on out in matter of theology. I was really just sticking it through for, you know, for the giveaway. I said, you know, we need to do this giveaway and I'll stick it through for that. Um, <laughs> you wanted to see if you won your own giveaway. Is that it? That's it. Yeah. Even, you know, even though I've got the entire works of John Owen right here, uh, I, I still wanted to win my own giveaway. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but 
I mean, we, we are excited for what 2021 is going to bring because regardless of what people think, it's a good time to be a Christian. Uh, it's a good time to proclaim the gospel because now people are going to be coming to you just for because you're speaking truth. Uh, they're going to become hunting you down saying you can't say that. And guess what? Now you get to tell them, you know, even more. Uh, so so we're excited for, for Matter of Theology and some of the things we've got planned. Uh, Cruciform 2021, Chris is a speaker. I'm a speaker. Andrew, you're a speaker. Um, it's going to be 2021 is going to be just a good time. Um, for us. So, so we can't wait. So we hope that, uh, if you're turning into apologetics live, uh, that you'll tune into us as well. Because basically everything is a matter of theology. There you go. <laughs> so as we, as we continue with uh, apologetics live, um, the, the thing that we end up seeing is that there's a lot of people who are really struggling with these things and we have to recognize that, but we have to Put it in some balance. Um, now we got some other folks that came in for for some questions. And again, folks, if you want two ways to make sure your question gets asked, the one way to make sure your question gets asked is a super chat because you're supporting the ministry, keeping this going. So we're going to make sure we answer that one. Uh, and the way to do a super chat is on YouTube. Just click the little dollar sign when you ask your question. Another way is to come in and ask a question. Now John has been here. We have him listed as. So actually, I should ask Phil. Phil, do you have any other questions since you're here? Um, I don't think so. Okay, Thanks, we'll put you good. backstage. You. So if Thanks you have so. another, just come on back in. We're going to bring in the Cluck Commander, uh, aka John. Hello. <laughs> so John, you had a question. Biden legitimately won the presidency. Okay, Humble Clay is asking the question. Constitution. Do you believe Biden legitimately won the presidency? Um, it depends on how you define no, legitimacy. I do not believe that he legitimately won the presidency. I, this is this nope. Pastor Justin Pierce. I just want to make sure that since, since I get the top of the hour and the question was here, no, he didn't legitimately win. However, because he did by hook or by crook, he is our president, and we mm-hmm. will be praying for him. Yeah. Well, see, and that's where I say it depends on how you define legitimacy because he's legitimately the president because the state's delegates had declared that. Now, here's here's the reality, folks. Even if Trump had won the popular vote, the delegates still could have given their vote to Biden or vice versa. I mean, there's plenty of people that were asking for for the the delegates to give their vote to Trump because of the the, the questionable ballots and whatnot. So when you say legitimate, I would have to say yes, because our system is set up where we have delegates that select they bring those delegates to the Senate, and the Senate then reads them and, and accepts them. That process did happen. Do we believe that the reason that the delegates went the way they went is legitimate? I would have to say no. And I, I heard a video, Justin, I think you shared this today, a video where, uh, and I don't know who it was that was talking, but he was asked the question, you know, basically, you know, was there, was there any fraud in the election? And, and his answer was basically, if there was no fraud, then these states would be releasing their findings. And not trying to tear it all up. Yeah. They wouldn't be, you know, getting rid of the evidence so that we can never go back and and check you know, that. You know, you have to think about it. The, the thing is, um, as a Christian, uh, look, I, I want the best for this nation, and I want the best best for the people here. But as a Christian, the best is Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, I, I don't. I don't look to to the government. I, I don't look to the government to be my by my hope. And you know, Donald Trump. You know, whether you think he was a, a good man or a bad man, um, he's not the hope, and he's not the devil either. You know, uh, 
Uh, he's he's maybe you know somewhere in between. Uh, everybody here on this stage that has has had any conversations about Donald Trump, we've all admitted that none of us believe that he was saved. None of us believe he's Christian. But wait, okay. why why is it that we don't see this from the left? I mean, seriously, th- this is an interesting thing that you bring up because all the, all conservatives can sit there and say yes. Trump is not good. He's done some stupid things. We can, we can say that what happened at the Capitol, the, the, those people that, you know, the one out of every thousand maybe that was there, even less, went into the Capitol. Most of those that were in the Capitol were just taking photos. But we could say that's wrong. Here's the thing. You don't hear that on the other side. You don't hear about no. seven months of tearing down monuments, breaking into capitals, burning cities, burning police cars, Ousting the police. If you want to talk about an insurrection, an insurrection is what happened in Portland where they, they said they were their new country and the police and all law enforcement had to get out. And what, the, what did the, the government say? Okay, we'll leave. That's an insurrection. Yeah. Okay, that's actually an insurrection by like a definite, definition type. What happened at the Capitol was not. It, it, it was a protest that got out of hand just like they say the BLMs, but when the BLM does it, it's like we're supposed to receive that and accept that and let them talk. Well, seven months of that, you telling people this is how you get your voice heard, guess what? The Democrats created that, but you don't hear them on their side allowing any negative talk. You, you can't even no. mention the fact that Biden is listed by name now in a Ukrainian criminal investigation. You can't mention that. You, you can't mention the fact that his son is been is investigated is being investigated by the FBI. Can't mention that. Like you can't have any of that. There's honesty on the on the conservative side. There's dishonesty on the liberal side. So well, two two words, biblical words, a little out of context. Strong delusion. Yeah, they, they're incapable. They they genuinely are incapable. They're they're so. Uh, deceived with you know with their ideology uh, they're, they're loyal to their ideology uh it's it's just depraved and they're in, incapable of, of seeing that and not to get all theological but i appreciate what justin said in response to the question is biden legitimate i i want to back up and be a little more theological with what we've mentioned a couple of times romans 13 there is no authority except from god and those which exist are established by god so is he legitimate Amen. yeah maybe not because the states were legitimate in their in their uh uh voting but certainly god has orchestrated his presence in the in the presidency yeah. and and that's where we come back to the the doctrine of sovereignty there you go yeah, yeah we can talk about legitimacy or uh fraud and things like that because you, you got to say biden received more votes than obama yeah, yeah, hard really? to believe. I, I don't no. think so. I mean, there was euphoria. There was euphoria with Biden. I mean, Biden, you had euphoria. You had yeah. people like going, and, and you're going to tell me a guy who can't even get 40 people at a, at a rally. I mean, I think yeah. the real reason that Biden had a virtual inauguration is so no one was surprised that no one showed. Right. I, I, I like what, you know, I think, Bud, it was you that might have said this, that the the reason he had all the military was so, so someone would show up. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but but let's let's get John. You had a question earlier. Let's get to your question. Hello, guys. How are y'all doing? Well, you well, sound well, like you ought to be on a soap commercial. <laughs> that that was I a great know, voice. I'm gonna tell you, that's a great voice. I'm gonna tell you. All right, and your question is. Thank you very much. 
Okay, well, the question is this. Um, I was watching earlier uh, a video from uh, Dr. James White, and apparently it seems as if uh, he's making it very clear that he's leaning more towards the uh, that post mill. <laughs> to, to, uh, you mean the wrong, a wrong uh, theology? It, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> the one that and Drew I, holds to. I don't recall. I thought he was a millennial uh, before or something. Now he seems to be influenced by Jeff Durbin along with uh, the theonomy kind of guys and along with the, uh, the, the eschatology position of post-millennialism. Now, I know that Drew kind of was excited about that, but um, I, I personally, I, I disagree with the view. It's just a view, an eschatology view, and I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to condemn Dr. James White or Drew or anyone else who who has that position, but you're so much more uh, gracious I, than Andrew. No, I, yeah, I hold on. Yeah. I I allow you to be wrong. I don't <laughs> criticize you if you want to be wrong. What? <laughs> anyway, uh, to get uh, guys' thoughts on on problems of. Of this or, or that position of of uh, okay, so is it, is, why it, is it why is it, is it uh, a flawed view? Okay, John, your your video is breaking up a bit, so I don't know. Is, so no. you, is your question is your question about the view of post millennialism, or is it that James White is changing his position? Which 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 is the question? Um, your guys's view of post millennialism, and is it a is it a concern that Dr. White is leaning towards that? Well, I, th- I think I think there's that. there's at least four of us here that's going to probably say he's wrong for post mill. So we should let Drew. <laughs> well, I would say to, to jump in there, uh, I would say that there are views of post millennium post millennialism that are concerning and that are absolutely wrong. Ones that take the full preterist view that deny the second coming of Christ. That is a heresy that needs to be rejected. Uh, the seven mountain mandate, which is put out by uh, IHOP, Kansas city, uh, Bethel, uh, right. that needs to be absolutely be rejected. Well, hold on, Drew. Uh, let, me, let me do this first because mm-hmm. we, we got uh, Phil in the private chat was like, okay, what is the difference between on mail, post mail. So let me let me just do this real quick. Mm-hmm. Just give an overview of the three positions, so people yeah. know what they are, and then and then get into them. So you have three main end times views: pre mail, post mail, on mail. So pre mill stands for pre millennial. In other words, it's the idea that that Christ will come back before the thousand year millennial kingdom. So Christ will will come to be on earth. He'll reign through that millennium. Uh, post mill was is going to be he's going to come after the millennium, so there's, there's going to be this mil- thousand year period. Christ is going to come back. All millennial is is that there is no millennium. We're actually in it. It's it's an extended period of time. It's not actually a thousand years. That it's a it's a figurative thousand years. So it's a long period of time. We're in it, and at the end, it's just that's it. It's over. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk pre millennial, <clears throat> there's a couple different views of pre millennial. You have you have a historic premillennial. You have, which is just there's some minor differences there. Uh, I would say I don't think they're as big. But then when in premillennial, the main thing that you want that people talk about is pre-tribulational, mid-tribulational, post-tribulational. So pre-tribulational is that the the church is going to be taken up from the earth 
prior to the seven-year tribulation. Mid-trib is going to be that they're taken in the middle. And post-trib is that at the end of the seven-year period, before the thousand-year period, the church will be raptured up. Uh, there's another view called the pre-wrath. It's very similar to the pre-mid, or the mid-view. Um, it's just a little bit before the wrath comes, but it's basically a, a mid-view. So those are the three views. Uh, we've been joking about uh, that Drew is, is post-mill. Uh, I, I, I'm pre-millennial, pre-tribulational. I think Dr. Silvestro, Bud, and Justin are the same. So just so we well, have that. actually. Okay, yeah, which are you, Bud? You're changing. <laughs> I'm post-mill. Oh, oh, are you? You did oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted what thrown at you? I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I didn't catch it. Is, is that because was, you, you switched when you went to the new church, my, huh? Uh, my, uh, you know... Yeah, I, but look, I, I think I think your answer is right. I had this conversation with a brother after lunch today with regards to where do we land on this? And the fact is, you've got these three views, which for at least 500 years since the Reformation have been considered orthodox. Yeah. Uh, if you go read the, the Puritans, which I have spent a few years reading the Puritans, which is why I gave an amen, not an a women, to the <laughs> Thomas Watson reference earlier. Repent uh, of that. You, you get the sense that these guys, when they discuss eschatology, it, it really isn't a post-mill kind of, kind of way. Now, I'm no scholar on any of these, so uh, I just qualify that to say, look, we're going to show a lot of grace to people. I'm not going to argue eschatology with anybody. Um, my fundamental issue right. is, do I trust Christ? Am I living for Christ? And do I know that he's going to do the right thing when the time comes? And and that's fundamentally where um, I try and point people. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm no eschatology scholar either. I mean, I'm only more recently. Well, well that's clear. <laughs> I'm only more reading now, Drew, now there are two of us. <laughs> the, the eschatology discussion, uh, but from from the arguments I've heard, uh, I'm I'm more persuaded to the the post millennial um, position. Yeah, and I'll say this: you know, I guess part of John, your question was, you know, like, is it dangerous? Should we have concern? I, I guess I'll tell you where I have concern. My concern is really that Dr. James White, who has been teaching theology at the seminary level, you know, for mm-hmm. years now, um, has been deba- has over a hundred professional debates. This is not a type of guy who doesn't take theology lightly. He takes it very seriously. I mean, I, I believe he's got a whole, you know, thing of theology matters, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, that, you know, it's, he, he, he focuses on theology. The thing that's concerning to me, John, is that he could go from his Reformed Baptist church to this other church and have major theology shifts at, at his age, having okay. studied theology for so long. I, I, I get more concerned with that. He's changing on his end times view. He's changing on his view of theonomy. I mean, he, he once said on his radio program that the, or, or implied that theology was closer to Islam than Christianity because of its use of, of the law. So... Mm-hmm. Yet he's going to a church that would teach theonomy. I just, I look at this and I get concerned when somebody can make major shifts in their theology. It's like, well, what what were you teaching wrong for all those years? And it's not, you know, I could see it if it's something, well, I haven't studied this out, but then I studied it out and now I've changed a view. 
but he studied these things. He taught these things. That's actually more concerning to me. Um, I think that when it comes to end times, we're all wrong. Every one of us. We don't know where, otherwise we'd change. But I, I think there's elements where what we're trying to do is we're trying to gleam into something that we don't have enough detail. You know, we, we look at we look at some of these future prophecies, and you think about the first before the first century, they had all those first coming prophecies, and they got a lot of them wrong. Why? Because it, the, the prophecies are are sometimes like a political cartoon. You get the big picture, yeah. you don't get the details, yeah. and. So much of this end times view, what we're doing is we're fighting over the details, and those details are things I don't think we're going to have right. But the big picture, I mean, clearly we all agree God wins. We can have unity on that doctrine. But I think that where you're going to get into the difference is, for me, it's going to be how do we look at the Scriptures, I'm not so interested in what does my theological system say, but I'm going to look at what this, the scriptures say. And so when I come to something like the 70-week prophecy in Daniel, and then I look at these three views, only one ha- can explain, in my opinion, can explain those 77-year periods without having to do games with the interpretation. In other words, I can read those as two different periods that add up to 69 seven-year periods consecutively, and then there's a period where the Messiah is cut off, and then later is a seven-year period. I can mm-hmm. read that, but if you're, if you're an all-millennialist, you, you have to say, well, the first, either you're going to say that the first 69 are literal, but that last one, either the last half is figurative or the whole week is figurative, the whole seven-year period is figurative. You, you, you end up having to play some games with it. If you know, I, I, I'm not sure what actually the post-millennial guys do with, with the 70-week prophecy in Daniel. Um, I'm not as familiar with, with uh, post-mill enough that I've engaged with folks on that, on that. But I think that the reason I hold to what I hold to is because I think it's most consistent with the interpretation of Scripture. Are there going to be areas where I'm wrong? Sure. I know that I am. I just don't know where. So that's my position. I think that's a good topic for a future show, the 70 weeks. Yeah, we could do that. Ooh. You know, I'm just... And I'm, if we do I'm it on matter of theology, then I will be a four-time guest. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a couple of times in Q&As back from... Oh, that's uh, good. I thought you were going to say Q&On, so good, good. No, no, not, no, no, Q&A. Um with uh, Ligonier, when they had Ligonier conferences and, and RC was still here, and he would get this question a few times, what's your eschatology? And his response, you know, he had that way of just responding off the cuff that sort of diffused everyone, but but didn't make a point. What's wrong with you people? He would, he would come back and say, you know, it depends on who I read the last. So if I read a post-mill guy, that's persuasive. It's biblical. I can understand it. But I can go read a pre-mill guy and, oh, wow, that's biblical. That's mm-hmm. persuasive. Um, so it, it, eschatology is important. We don't disregard it at all. But uh, I, th- I think we've got to show some grace here, just like you you mentioned, Andrew, um, that we're not all right. Uh, but ultimately, Christ is, and and that's where we need to be focused. So. Yeah, I think you, know, you have to 
have the the particulars of the gospel right. Yeah, uh, you have those Amen. particulars, and and now where it plays in into the eschatology ultimately, because there are di- the different views of of eschatology, and we all may be wrong and and miss it in certain points. But I think the the key thing in our eschatology is if we deny that Christ is returning for his yeah. bride, then then we're we're yeah. wrong. We're well, absolutely, and and where you were saying, right. you know, right. you mentioned full preterist and so let me define that for folks that don't know there's there's views of called partial preterism full preterism and it's the idea that full preterism would say that all of the prophecies were fulfilled already by 70 AD that was the completion of them and every future prophecy was fulfilled the, the reason we'd say that's a heresy is is because of what Drew's saying right now because what that does is that says that there there is no more uh, you know, right now there's there's nothing coming. This that's it. There is no. Yeah, this is this is the millennial. It's the yeah. millennium. It's a millennial kingdom, and is this is the best it's going to get. Yeah. And Christ comes in and just kind of um, he purifies. You know what his part of the kingdom is, and that it's a uh, it's but it's no it's no actual purified kingdom. Right. So and the problem yeah. with that is is there is no that there there is no real cleansing. Of, of of God's kingdom, you know, and you know what what you guys are talking about is is absolutely fair and correct. You know, when the question comes up, what about Doctor White or what about you know any one of us? Um, like Andrew said, we all have those viewpoints. You know, I have very strong views when it comes to the end times, and everybody again, you know, knows that on sermon audio, I've got uh, uh, multiple sermons and discussions about mm-hmm. what I, my viewpoints on the end times. That I've that I've put out there because because I want people to know um, I have a major problem with the dispensational view that says don't worry everything's going to get get better and you don't have to put up with anything nothing bad's going to ever happen to you it's all going to happen in the future but you know God's going to come in and take you out no that's not what the Bible says at all we're going to go through it and it's going to be bad you know it's going to be not the, the, the post millennial view though. Well, but okay. But, but what, what I'm telling you is, it's also a a uh, unlearned dispensational view mm-hmm. that where where there have been people in the dispensational camp that have come out with this <laughs> idea that there's a rapture coming before anything gets bad, and it is wrong. I'm going to yeah. tell you. Yes, I believe 100 percent in the rapture. I don't have I don't have any problem with it. But I will say this: it's not escapism. I heard right. I, and I read the the article on on the. Um, uh, um, Amen, and, and that's a straw man. I wish people would quit calling the dispensational view of the rapture a, an escapist view, because it's not. If you read the, no. if you read the scripture, we are clear that we're all going to go through uh, terrible times coming. You know, as, you know, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be bad. It, it, this, and that's why I say when stuff like what we're seeing going on in the world today happens. As a dispensationalist, I can say I expected that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Go, I mean, go, go. Try and sell that view to a Chinese Christian right now. Amen. Has no rights. Amen. Uh, whose pastor has just been arrested and taken wherever and may never be seen again. So, is that, yeah, wait, that is, that, is that why Joel Osteen's books don't sell in Chinese? What is that? Why Joel Osteen's books don't sell in Chinese? Because it just doesn't. The prosperity gospel doesn't fly when there's persecution. (laughs) Well, while we're we're on this subject, um, if you don't mind, I want to put an irresistible truth. He. Well, I was. I was. Yeah, I was. I was going to put that up. I've been waiting for you to. 
I was waiting. And, and for the record, you know, like I, 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 he said, hey, will someone answer my question? And I'm scrolling up, scrolling up, scrolling up to try to find the question. Find and, and then you, you, I saw you put in there and said, hey, well, if you make it a super chat, it gets asked. So he did that. I, was, I finally found it when I saw that he put that. So, so irresistible truth. Thank you for the $10 donation of Striving for Eternity. But you're quite, so he, he puts this, CRT, and I'll let me define that. CRT stands for Critical Race Theory. If you don't know what that is, we are going to answer it. The, he, other, he also uses SJW. That stands for Social Justice Warrior, just so you guys, if you're not familiar with the terms, have them. So CTR has infiltrated so many churches. How are you guys dealing with CTR and SJW um, narratives that pastors have submitted to? Seems like they submit to secularism over God. At Acts 29 Church, tons are leaving. So I'm going to throw this one to Dr. Silvestro. He's been doing uh, a lot of the work for Striving Fraternity on this, and we've, we have a seminar. If, if Folks, if you don't know what these things are, uh, critical race theory, critical theory, social justice warrior, uh, if you don't, if you're not familiar with that, if you're not familiar with what the things that we're going to be saying here, uh, I encourage you to contact us. Go to go, contact us at Striving Fraternity. Uh, the way to do that is you can email us. Uh, just email is info at strivingforeternity.org. Info at strivingforeternity.org. It's important too. Yeah. You, you need to learn this and understand. Everybody needs to learn this one right now. This is, this is a critical thing. And, we will come out to your church, Dr. Silvestro, myself, either either one of us or both of us, and help teach your church what this is. So, Anthony, let me throw this to you if you could answer answer this question for Irresistible Truth. Yeah, absolutely. So we've been we've been teaching this for almost two years, Andrew. I don't know if you realize yeah. that. We were one of the first ministries out there that uh, put together a systematic and, theology on this. Well, and, and I think part of the reason is because— you know, my background, as you know, coming from Jewish background after the Holocaust, I was trained to look for this type of behavior. And so I saw it early on. I'm not alone. I mean, you could see people writing about this in the 70s. But this is, so it's not unusual. But we were, we, we struck this very early on and people criticized us. That's right. People told us the things that are happening today would never happen and we said, yes, they would. And the things we say are going to be happening in the next couple of years, they're, they're saying it's never going to happen. We were wrong last time. <laughs> you might be wrong again. Yeah. So, okay, let's, let's start off with defining both of these terms, and we'll show you how they're almost one and the same today. Critical race theory is, is an idea that came out in eh, 40s, 1940s, 1950s, black seminaries. And basically it states that, that there is – Within the fabric of society is woven this inherent racism and oppression. And so so white people have, through institutions, through laws, through everything. So the entire fabric of society is is literally um, is literally made to be against the black man, is to oppress the black man. That's literally critical race theory. Now What's interesting is that this critical race theory was first used to to raise up groups like the Black Panthers. What we see today with Black Hebrew Israelites are literally offshoots of this critical race theory that was taught years ago. Martin Luther King is a uh, is an offshoot of this stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, and what they've done is they've they've well, let me get to that in a moment. So that's critical race theory. Critical race theory has changed today, and it is actually better termed critical theory. And here's why. 
Because when we look at the social justice movement or social justice warriors, as stated here, it is people who believe in equality in everything or equity in everything. And this is equity on the input as well as the output. So that means they, they believe everybody should start off equally in life. Education, healthcare access, money, you name it, it should be equal. And it's also an equity of outcomes so that whatever you do in life, in the end, you should all be the same as well. I know, sounds pretty crazy, right? It's literally impossible to do. But that is what social justice teaches. This comes from Marxist philosophy. So what was once an economic philosophy for equality transformed into cultural Marxism. That is literally the same thing as as social justice. And what it has done is it says we want equality not only in in race, not only in economics, but we want equality everywhere across the board. And so when people feel like they're being oppressed in whatever they feel like they're being oppressed in, they claim that they have a right to not be oppressed. They have, they have rights that are being oppressed. And so therefore they want to fight for those rights. And this is where social justice has really taken off because it's really not about race anymore. It, even though they put that out there at the forefront, what it's really about is the homosexual movement about transgenderism, homosexual marriage. It's all of those types of social issues, abortion, this is all part of social justice. And this is why when you went and looked up the Black Lives Matter movement, that there is a out of the top 13 things they used to have on their website, the top four of those 13 were dealing with what they believe to be race issues. The last nine were social issues. So their, their big impetus was really social issues more than anything else. Now, critical race theory, which was focused mostly on the white fabric of society that oppresses blacks, has literally morphed into critical theory, which is the white fabric of society that has oppressed everybody who seems to be oppressed today. Now, I seem to be vague about this, but I want us to be really clear. Critical race theory, social justice... And the like, cultural Marxism is an atheistic philosophy. And I know there's people on this show right now that disagree with me on this, but you can go back to Karl Marx's writings, you can go back to the Frankfurt School writings, you can go back to all those philosophers' writings. They were atheists, or at least claimed to be atheists. Mm -hmm. And they promoted this stuff knowing it was directly against what God Mm -hmm. taught in the Bible. Now, as they lay that out as uh, as a foundation... This is the thing that's that's really important. We need to look at every one of these issues, and we'll start with race. What does the Bible have to say about these things? And first and foremost, it's one blood, one race, according to the Bible. Everyone's from Adam and Eve. We're all just different shades of brown. And so, therefore, even using the term racism is a secular concept. It comes from evolution, comes from different monkeys or monkey-like creatures that have evolved to different uh, types of people, some better evolved than others. Uh, that's, that's where that comes from. So the Bible teaches one blood, one race. The Bible gives prescriptive um, words in terms of who we can marry. Men can only marry uh, one man can marry one woman. One woman can marry one man. We see that uh, we see that uh, abortion is a is a ridiculous thing today. We see the people fighting over when does life begin? Right, you got heartbeat bills. You got you got bills that is maybe uh, only the time of uh, when somebody 
gives birth is when we should be banning them. And yet, what does the Bible say about life? That life begins at conception. So what's the, what the problem is with pastors is that they have to take every one of these things and, and get out of the the issues that they see in society, right? People fighting back and forth, which is a secular world, people full of sin fighting over these issues. They need to take a step back and say, wait a minute, what does the Bible have to say about it? How does the Bible address race? See, if there's somebody in my church, and I'm not a pastor, if I was, if somebody was in my church who claims to be a Christian and is is racist, right, is, is sinning against somebody because of the color of their skin or the shade of their skin, then the first thing that you need to do is call that person repentance and then to teach them what the Bible actually teaches regarding race. When it's an unbelieving world, this is where I have a big problem. And, and then I'll end here and let everyone else kind of come in. Critical race theorists and social justice warriors, among other things, want want to destroy the fabric of what they believe to be an oppressive fabric of society. They want to institute all kinds of laws. And here's the reality. You can't legislate sin. Right. You can try to. Right. I mean, we have laws in the books not not to murder, not to steal, not to do all kinds of things. And yet people continue to do those things. Why? Because the evilness of their hearts. Mm-hmm. And when we look at critical race theory and social justice, as Christians, we have to recognize, do these problems exist out there? Absolutely. There are issues that exist out there. We do see racist stuff that happens out there. But it comes from unbelievers that don't understand where morality actually comes from. It comes from unbelievers who don't understand one blood, one race. It's people who don't have a heart change. And so pastors, rather than kowtowing to these movements, what you need to be doing is teaching the gospel to your congregation and how to go out and proclaim the gospel because the way these things get changed is not by destroying society or trying to pass new laws. You fix these things by proclaiming the gospel so that you see God change hearts and minds to be able to see the truth. Yeah. Now you mentioned that, uh, CRT, uh, all these things were basically started by atheists. So you had Karl Marx, which his philosophy was applied to economics. Then right after Karl Marx, you had Gramsci. Gramsci took Karl Marx's philosophy and applied it to society. And Gramsci believed that the biggest threat to what he was doing was the church. So his goal ultimately was to dismantle the church. Now, when you get into CRT and how it is infiltrating the churches, and that's true, it it is infiltrating a lot of churches, CRT uh, and intersectionality, uh, its focus is partiality. It shows partiality. So you have to elevate certain people and, and, and move other people down on the totem pole. And, and you have to view people in terms of uh, by their gender, by their race, by you know what kind of job they have and all these things. So it deals in partiality. Well, the problem is in the church with the gospel, God does not deal in partiality. We are all viewed equally as sinners deserving death. So that's why uh, it's important to preach the gospel that all deserve hell, that none of us are worthy of the gospel. But once we come into relationship with Christ, now there is no more Jew. There is no Greek. There is no slave. There is no free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul tells us. Now, in referring to Acts 29, I just came out of an Acts 29 church and Matt Chandler as the president of Acts 29 wholeheartedly buys into this nonsense. He did online uh, webinars about white privilege. 
uh, he did he, when the Dallas shootings took place. He had Dallas police officers that were members of his church. He didn't talk to any of them. Instead, he brought members of the oppressed community up on stage and asked them and to talk to them about police brutality. Well, that ended up driving out a lot of the police officers uh, that were in his church. Uh, when when the George Floyd incident took place. Acts 29 put out a, uh, an article and you couldn't get out of the first paragraph of that article without the mention of systemic racism. Systemic racism is what makes critical race theory possible or, or the idea of systemic racism is what makes critical race theory even have a leg to stand on because what systemic racism says is it says that built into the system is racism. Well, the problem with that is you can't show us any laws where that deal in racism that says it's okay to discriminate. Now, maybe 50 years ago, you had a, you had a case with Jim Crow laws and, and things like that. But today, you don't have that. Systematic or systemic racism does not exist because there are no laws into the system that, that promote discrimination based on anyone's race. Uh, so critical race theory has to attach itself to something that's non-existent in order to, to, for its teachings to, to actually be viewed as, uh, as valid. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that I think with it is it, there is an issue and this is why several of us got together there were about 75 of us that got together and sent uh, and signed a letter <clears throat> to John MacArthur to have him add his weight to something we were working on. <clears throat> that is now what's known as the Statement of Social Justice and the Gospel. <clears throat> so, and you can go search, just do a, a DuckDuckGo search on Social Justice and the Gospel. You'll find the statement. There's, I think, almost, I don't know how many tens of thousands now have signed it. But we, we put that together because we saw it, that social justice was starting to have an impact, a negative impact on churches, on the gospel. And we felt strong enough that we needed to put a statement out of what, what we affirm and what we don't affirm. And what I see with social justice is it affects the gospel message. Mm-hmm. This goes right back to what we started talking about at the beginning part of the program. Are we about morality or are we about righteousness? See, social justice is not about righteousness. It's about trying to make everyone equal, which is impossible. There's never going to be everyone equal. Right now, Joe Biden is president of the United States. If, er- if he's going to sign this equality document, which, Drew, we never got to, but if, if he's going to sign the equality document, guess what? Then I get to be president. Anthony, you get to be president. Drew, you're president. Justin, you're president. Bud, you're president. We're all president. Everyone's president. Yeah. We all should just march into the White House and say, this is my house. I can live here because I'm president too, because we have to have equality. And you go, wait, that doesn't work. That's right. Say that too loud. Yeah. Well, this, this, it never will work. It is something that's being used to actually oppress people. It's, it's something that you end up seeing with it. It's, it's, when you look at look at what Mao did in China, in China, he comes in and says it's not right that all these wealthy people have the land and you poor people just you, you don't own it you don't you just have to work it, and so yeah yeah that's right that's right. So what does he do? He promises he's going to take the land from the rich, give it to the poor. That sound familiar? Like anyone else? 
right? So that's what he's going to do. So what, what ends up happening? He just takes the land away from the rich, gives it to people who don't know how to manage it. They just knew how to work it. Now they have to actually manage it. They don't know how to do that. And now they're having problems. Government comes in and people start getting violence. What does the government do? We're going to take away the guns because that'll prevent the violence. Okay, that sounds good. They take the guns away. Then people are going, but we don't know. We, we can't manage this. What do we do? Government says, that's okay. We'll take the land and you can work for us. In the end, they the people were in a worse position than they originally were. They went from being in, in a position of having someone who was accountable to the government have to you know take care of them to now the government who has no accountability have to take care of them. Now, someone is pay, Michael saying Robin Hood theory wrong. It's not the, the Robin Hood. And I'm glad you put that up because Robin Hood is a great example of what we have in our country right now is do you have the true Robin Hood story or the false? Here's what Robin Hood we think of today. We think of Robin Hood that he was taking from the rich to give to the poor. That's the liberal lie. That is not. Go read Robin Hood. That's not what Robin Hood was doing. He was stealing from the government or taking from the government who was stealing from the people and giving it back to the people, Mm -hmm. the poor people that the government we're dripping off. That's right. See, the, the liberals don't want to tell you the true story of Robin Hood because it exposes what they're doing, right? They're the ones stealing from the poor. And what we're trying to say, you know, what Robin Hood would be saying is, no, we, we need to take it from the government who's illegally taking it and give it back to the poor. Give it to who rightfully earned it and deserves right. it. That's why Robin Hood is actually a very good thing to look at because it shows you the differences that we have. But what you end up having is that what Mao did and what we have arguing today is, well, we need equality. We need to have, you know, we have too many rich. We should take from the rich, tax them, give it to the poor. But what ends up happening is that all that that's going to do is it's going to oppress those poor. They just don't know it yet. Right now, they, they, they work for people. And they have a government that's over those people to give accountability. Soon, that middleman's going to be gone, and we're all going to be working for the government, and there's not going to be any accountability. <clears throat> so where this gets into the, with the gospel, though, is that it has a different gospel message. Because now, what the gospel message becomes is about righting wrongs of the past that you never actually did, right. that your family members never actually did. It's just that because you have some sort of color lack of melanin in your skin you're guilty of something you and your family never actually did in fact let's just think about this argument when the argument is that because you you lack melanin in your skin you have whiteness and you're guilty of the slavery from hundreds of years ago there's a problem there how did we get the slaves in the slave trade that was by black kidnappers yeah see people don't realize that the blacks were slavers too so now who do you blame do we blame the blacks who, who were the slavers that sold them to the whites? I mean, because then all of a sudden that becomes the problem. They probably don't talk about that in that, you know, was it 1689 group? Oh, wait, no, it's a different group. <clears throat> sorry. Sorry there, Drew. Um, <laughs> that's, 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 not right. that's not right. That's you know, not right. Andrew, you do bring up a great point talking about how, how even the Atlantic slave trade, you know, how, how they came over here. But what people also don't realize is – you can go to states like South Carolina alone, and in South Carolina, there were 200 black slave owners. Yeah. 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 One thing to point out, too, is you've got to think about the fact that you've got uh, your 1619 project is, you know, is to actually to up, upend um, 
It, yes, Billy Cockrell is right. Irish and Scottish slaves as well. Yep. I am a descendant of those those which he speaks of. Um, uh, we we have to see that the 1619 project is an effort to upheave uh, our nation and say that the the nation truly was founded when the first uh, slaves were were brought here um, from Africa. Um, if you go actually do the actual research, you have. Uh, slaves that have been in ownership through wars throughout history. And what we have is a a failure to actually recognize that America was the only country that fought itself and uh, fought itself to free people who were of slave ownership. And and let's look at that. It was whites whites who fought, okay? And and Humble Clay says this, I was going to mention this, but you know, the first black slave owner in America was, or the first slave owner in America of a black man was a black man. Mm -hmm. Okay. The reason that became legalized in America was from a black man putting another black man into slavery. And you have to think about it. We, we live in a culture that has fought itself to better itself. Mm -hmm. And it's unlike any other culture. But I want to point out too, that when we're talking about socialism or communism or, or any other ism, of, of government authority. Um, the Bible doesn't say to submit only if you like it, okay? I, and I have to stress this because and I go back to Daniel because I've read a lot in the studies I've done in Daniel is the oppression, the, the physical torment that the, the, these men were put under, um, the selection process, the things that they were, uh, that happened to them. Um, and it was all used by God to reach to the highest people you know, not just Nebuchadnezzar, the, to the highest in the leadership who saw God work in the midst of their paganism, their depravity, their wicked di- dictatorship, you know, the evil that they did. You're going to worship these these idols and everything they did. And I just, I really want to point this out, that as Christians, we don't have to lose hope and put our hope and, and strength, even in America, that's going to fall. It's going to falter because when any nation turns its back on God, they will fail. Uh, that nation will fall. Yeah, let me let me address something Michael says here. He says, as as I said before, Christians have always fought against slavery. Now, <clears throat> this is the thing that because some people argue that Christians fought for slavery. There were people that did use arguments from the Bible <clears throat> for slavery. But let's be clear on a couple things here. Um, one, there there actually was a book called the Slaver's Bible. And it's interesting because they rip out a lot of things out of that Bible that they would read to slaves. And what you end up seeing in that Bible, you know, one of the things that's missing out of Exodus? Yeah, it, where it's where you cannot kidnap another human being. Yeah, they kind of left that one out. They, they, they yeah. cut out anything where it talks about, you know, people who are slaves being equal, uh, equal human being. Right. So, so yeah, you had people that used religion, okay, for that purpose, but you have to realize that's being done today as well, that people use religion. I mean, do you really believe that a guy who can't even pronounce the word Psalm goes to church every week and is now president? I mean, seriously, but, but I was going to mention this and Irresistible Grace says the same thing. Cattle slavery was never in the Bible. And that's the second thing I want to bring up. Slavery in the Bible is different than the slavery that we often think of. The slavery we think of is the the African slave trade. That's not the slavery that's in the Bible. The slavery we have in the Bible is an economic slavery. And when you see the laws in the Bible about slaves and slave owners, you will see that it is on the slave owner. It's the slave owner's responsibility to care for the slave. 
It is not that he owns them. You, you see that it's not property. The slave owner gets paid a half day's wages. The slave, if he, if he runs away and a cattle run away and you find it, you return the cattle because he's property. You don't return the slave because he's not property. There's a difference there in Scripture. We see that the laws are for the master to care for the slave. He couldn't just do whatever he wanted. So we have to understand that there are differences there. Now, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to just say, when we look at this, though, when we look at critical race theory, there, you know, it, it is a difference of, are we trying to right the wrongs on earth, yes. or are we going to recognize that every, if I ask all five of us here, whether we have grown up and felt oppressed at some point in our life, I, I'm going to assume that we, most of us would say yes. Because we can always look for that. We can find a way that, and some of us, it'll be easier than others. I mean, it might be easier for me, you know, being raised Jewish in a, in a anti-Jewish neighborhood. Um, and so, you know, what you end up having is that you, you, we can find things that we, you can say, well, we were oppressed. But you know what? The question is not, let me try to get someone else to right the wrong for that oppression. The question is, okay, I was oppressed. How do I, how do I learn from this? How do I improve? How do I become better? I get it more of an education then. I, I, and there you see countless examples of people who fought to better themselves in this life. That's the difference that we have in the gospel is this. <clears throat> the message of, the, of critical race theory is it's not your fault. You can't do anything about it. You need the government to help you out. You need us as your savior. And when churches are saying that same message, they, yeah. that's the wrong message of the Bible. Because the message of the Bible is you need God as a savior. God's the one who saves, not the government. We've, we, that's what we've been talking about in the first hour. It's God who saves. He's our savior. He's who we need. We turn to Christ and live. We don't turn to government and live. And that's and the CRT difference. CRT can only be promoted here in America because everywhere else in the world, they're oppressing themselves. Um, and, and you see tribalism running rampant all throughout America. Like, so you, you have the Chinese that hate the Japanese, right? Yes. It's tribal. You have the Irish that hate the English. It's tribal. Only in America can you actually promote CRT. Well, but you also have to think about it. The CRT theory is actually only being promoted to advance to one group. Right, correct. Uh, and, and, and you have to think, if you're Jewish, you don't count because you're white. Right. But if you're Asian, you doubly don't count because you're smart. And so we have to get rid of that. You know, well, well not, not even do it. Wait, wait. They were Justin, let's do it this way. Let's, let's look at more recent history. Let, seriously, recent history. If you're black... You can riot for seven months on the street, burning cities, toppling monuments, taking over towns, burning police cars, taking over police, police precincts, stomping into to Capitol buildings, stomping into courthouses. And that's not insurrection. You need to have your voice heard. But when people who felt oppressed because they felt that people stole an election and they wanted their voice heard and they wanted people to, to investigate then all of a sudden that didn't count. That was that was insurrection. Right? Well, so you, in all fairness, that was just called the summer of love. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so Anthony was going to say something. Yeah, I guess the two things. So first of all, um, I am I am a mill when it comes to time. So uh, so <laughs> okay okay let's let's explain that 
let's explain that. Hours, Let, um, let's explain that. Hold on, Anthony. We, we got to explain. You can't just leave inside jokes and not explain yeah. them. Okay. So what Anthony refers to is the fact that Anthony likes to go overtime. When, when I let Anthony run the show, he goes overtime. Okay. That's what that's referring to. Um, he, he loves to just say these things and not explain them. So. Um, well, I figure most people get the Amil part of the joke. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's say one other thing. Pastors, churches, when you understand the Christian, well, professing Christian roots of critical race theory, social justice, and whatnot, um, we mentioned the name Karl Marx earlier. Drew mentioned the name Grimsky. They were part of the Frankfurt School. You had a lot of other philosophers that all believed the exact same things and were, were teaching them. Some were, were public about it. Some weren't. Uh, Karl Marx did a lot of background stuff, and a lot of other guys did his bidding for him. It was really interesting. But, uh, but here's the issue. Karl Marx wrote his book in the 1850s. We see lots of stuff being written throughout the entire 1700s and 1800s, but uh, his was kind of the big book. Somewhere around 1875 to 1880, we're not really sure the early date, but this is where the Christian Socialist Fellowship started that we know of. And this is both in Europe and in America. And it was promoted by these guys. And so you literally had fellowships of pastors who were being taught these critical race theory issues, social justice issues, uh, cultural Marxism issues before we knew it was cultural Marxism. They're being taught this stuff. And the pinnacle of this came in 1917 because one of those influential pastors is a guy named Walter Rauschenbusch. And uh, he wrote in 1917 a book called A Theology of the Social Gospel. You want to know where the heresy comes from that Martin Luther King Jr. had in that he didn't believe in the atonement on the cross? It goes back to one of the guys he studied, which is Rauschenbusch. Rauschenbusch, yeah. Rauschenbusch believed that Jesus didn't die on the cross to atone for, for sins of those who repent and believe. He instead believed that Jesus went to die on the cross for the social injustices of the world and to make them right. And he literally writes the six different points of social issues that Jesus died for according to him in 1917 this is kind of the this is kind of what came out of this christian socialist fellowship and so the roots of everything we're seeing today in the church literally goes back to that issue whether pastors recognize it or not that's the exact same thing that was being taught in the black seminaries in the 1940s and 1950s that gave rise to critical race theory officially and what has given rise to all the stuff we've seen in the last 70 to 80 years. So I just want to make sure people had that, uh, that context. I, I just wanted to point out one thing that, that uh, it kind of goes back to the question, what do you do with a church? What do you do with pastors? W- one of the things you need to recognize is that they don't have a full grasp on what the gospel does. The gospel truly transforms you. And what that means is that those guys are forgetting the second half of Ephesians 2. We're, we're all familiar with the first half. You know, you were dead in sin and trespasses, but God. But then you don't understand that there was a division, and it was a divinely orchestrated division between Jew and Gentile. And it says that Christ, in Christ, that hostility, that wall of hostility is broken down. Most Christians don't understand that. They don't have a full grasp on the gospel. And and that's why it's such a subtle threat to the gospel, um, because we hear something like justice, and we think, well, certainly, Scripture speaks to justice 
a lot, and we believe in justice and we want justice. But the issue is, and Andrew alluded to this earlier, when Scripture talks about justice, it's on the basis of righteousness and not your rights. It's not about what you have a right to. It's about what God's righteousness demands and, in Christ, what he gives to us. Um, That's the subtle attack of, of CRT uh, on the gospel and and churches that promote that are either being deliberately ignorant uh, because they want to appeal to a culture that seems to be going in this direction well guess what i don't care where the culture goes what does scripture tell us what does it teach us um so i i, I would respond by saying you know go to your pastor and say explain ephesians 2 11 through 22 to me or 21 explain this to me because there's the response to social justice. Okay. There's what matters. And Anthony does a great job with the uh, seminar that he does on it. So, so let, let me do this just because I'm just I, a guest. I just no, no, to- no. I want to. I want to. I just. I, um, I want to be conscious of time and wrap up. But I, there's two things I want to do. Um, Drew, I want to start with you. Uh, we'll, we'll do this kind of quickly. You know, we have a lot of people who are uh, very much upset when it comes to the things they see going on this last year with COVID, um, things like that. I want to I want to talk to you, and then I'm going to have Anthony share something. So, with you to start, <clears throat> and you know, you were talking with me today about a guy you work with and what's been going on. So, <clears throat> I want you to share that story as an encouragement to people that are really getting depressed with things going on with COVID and you know the elections and everything else. They're getting depressed. So, I want you to share that story real quick. Yeah. So, uh, a guy I work with, um, he's a non-believer. He's, he's a kid about 21. Uh, and I feel weird saying that because I'm in my mid thirties. So yeah, and, and you're a kid to me. So, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, but he's, he's about 21 and he missed two weeks of work uh, because he had COVID. He gets back and everyone on my, uh, where I work knows that I'm, that I do a podcast. They know that I'm devout in my beliefs. Uh, they know I stand firm. Uh, but this kid comes, comes to me and he's asking me questions and he, you know, and really he's asking me questions, you know, uh, about eternity. He's asking me questions about different views of Christianity and, and Roman Catholicism and all this stuff. And I go, hold on. We need, you're talking about question 976. Okay. We need to go back to step one. You need to know the gospel. Uh, so we just start, we start there and we start talking about him, but this was a guy that, you know, everything that's going on, panic ridden in, in the media, uh, he gets sick with COVID. And so now he's questioning things and going, well, what does happen? Uh, is the, and some of the, the, the other people that he works with are atheists. Um, and, but he's coming to me personally, uh, and I work for FedEx. So, so he, he loads my truck. So he comes into my truck to talk to me personally about these things. Uh, and so I just give him the gospel and I tell him it, you, you, it doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter what the media says. It doesn't matter about a disease. What matters is who the king and sovereign is, who the Lord is, and that's Christ. And you need to repent and you need to come to him. You need to know him because if you know him, none of this other stuff matters. Then a a disease, even though it has a 99% recovery rate, is not going to, to bring fear 
into you. Uh, whoever the president is, is not going to bring fear into you. As long as you know the king, the one who rules and reigns now, sits on the throne now, who is in control now, that is what is most important because – and this is to to people also freaking out just about uh, the election and all this other stuff who are worried about their liberties and their freedoms being taken away. Look, your liberty and freedom here in America doesn't matter. The true liberty and freedom is found in Christ where he liberated you from sin and death. That is the freedom and liberty that you need to be concerned about. All right. Amen. Amen, Amen. is right. So, so now I, I want to give... You know, and we're we're just about on Anthony time, so we're we're just about two hours. So I timed this just right. Actually, if I take another thirty seconds to lead into Anthony, uh, will be Anthony can answer on Anthony time. So we'll go a little bit long, and if we go long, it's all on Anthony. It's his fault for as long as we go. You know, um, but uh, on a serious note, Anthony, you, you we you weren't here last week. We, we kind of talked about it. I wanted to give you uh, a chance to explain really a miracle uh, that we, I think you and I would agree to that happened and, and you know, something we never expected. Um, prayed about it for many years. So why don't, why don't you share what happened la- you know, last week, week before? Yeah, so <laughs> praise God, right? So, I, you know, most of my family and most of my wife's family are, are not saved and and we're not, we don't hold back. We, we share with our family members, um, maybe, maybe more harshly than we, than we should at times. But, uh, my dad is, is, has always been over at my house. I mean, two, three days a week for dinner, just, he lives right on the corner. It's a, have a, we've had a great relationship over the years and, uh, great with our son who's now 13 years old. Well, we've witnessed it, my dad for years and he's one of those guys who's always had head knowledge, but you know, no repentance. I mean, just continue to live his life he's had it all in, in life and uh so we we've uh, we've always prayed for him we've witnessed to him i know andrew as you've been at the house many times here uh you've witnessed to my dad as well and sure. uh, and other people have and uh and you know he gives the same old answers right well my dad went into the hospital back in november he was uh diagnosed with double lung pneumonia and uh, unfortunately rather than figuring out what type of pneumonia he, he had they just assumed it was covid they threw him in a covid unit got covid and it's and he ended up didn't even die of covid covid went away ended up dying of double lung pneumonia that they couldn't they couldn't figure out and fix um horrible diagnosis um in, in doing all that having said all that when my dad first went in we all assumed my dad, healthy 67-year-old, was going to come out in a few days. So when he went into the hospital, I, uh, I don't know, second, third day in, I said, you know, my dad was complaining as he was having a hard time breathing. He was on a full oxygen mask. And uh, the meds they were using um, just to sedate him weren't really working. And, and so I said, you know, Dad, uh, you think breathing now is hard. Wait till you see what hell is like. <laughs> pretty harsh right? that's the soft that's the soft way of saying it huh yeah. <laughs> you know sometimes you gotta just throw it out there right hey, but you know we were all thinking he's gonna get out of the hospital here in a few days so my brothers were critical of me my mom was critical of me um even though they had been divorced for the last i don't know 15 16 years now and uh as i toned it down i just continue to give bible verses every day to my dad and, and encourage him and and whatnot as my dad's getting worse so on day eight of my dad's hospitalization 
I asked, I, I texted him, asked him what he needed to do with work. I said, you know, even when you get out of here, it's going to take you weeks of recovery before you can go back to work. And uh, my dad's response was this. I don't care about work. I had hours of reflecting on my life and what's important. I ask God to forgive my sin, sins and to follow him. He's my savior. My dad proceeded that with saying that, uh, that in his time thinking, that's everything that we've told him he recognizes is now true. Amen. And uh, that was stunning to me. But of course, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, is this really true? Or is he just saying this because he's laying helpless in a hospital bed for eight days? You know, guy who's unbelievably strong and, and healthy, right? Well, I asked my dad what it meant to be forgiven. How do you know you're forgiven? And he said, pray, pray for his forgiveness. I'm learning. He knows what I mean in my heart. And I cried at the same time. I'm like, wow, that's Mm -hmm. pretty amazing. On day 12, my dad showed fruit of salvation. So four days later, he sent a text to my youngest brother, who is closest with our mom. Um, Again, they divorced 15 some years ago after 30 plus years of marriage. He said, Domenico, tell your mom I need her to forgive me for how I treated her all those years. To this day, I can't figure out why. None was her fault. I ask God to forgive me also and wash my sin and I will follow him as my savior. Wow. Absolutely amazing for me to get to read that text. I called my dad. So, you know, my dad was on oxygen a lot. He could barely speak because anytime he took the oxygen off, his his, uh, lung capacity was dropping. But uh, I called him right after that. And as he answered the phone, he could barely mutter out a word. But in background, he had Psalm 23. I don't know how he got it there, but Psalm 23 was playing in the background on this never-ending loop with, mm. with two other psalms. And uh, it was it was absolutely amazing to me. My dad ended up uh, just a few days later having to get sedated because the the oxygen wasn't working so well. They ended up putting a ventilator on him which, you know, they have to drug you and and essentially knock you out for. And so my dad literally repented and came to Christ uh, just a few days before he was knocked out. And and that was the last time that we've been able to communicate with him at all. He ended up dying on January 9th. He lasted a long time on the ventilator. Um, Times that he would slightly get better and then he would get worse a little bit better and a little bit worse. And we've just trended down the whole time till he passed. But, uh, you know, what's what it's been, it's bittersweet. We were really close with my dad, but, uh, I've said to many people that I would, I would give anything for my dad to be in heaven and die today rather than him live another 20 years and go to hell. Yeah. Amen. And, amen. Uh, I prayed for years that God would do whatever he had to do to my family members to bring him to repentance. And, uh, you know, it, it took, it took God to put my dad on his deathbed after all that time. It was, it was Andrew knows was (laughs) was wealthy and headstrong. And, uh, and God put him exactly where he needed to, to bring him to repentance faith. And so one of the reasons that I think about uh, Michael, the atheist, you know, we've talked with him a lot, 
And, and he was and in I here tonight. Said, he had he dropped out before he got a chance. We didn't get a chance to talk yeah. to him. And and I, I just I just think you know God can use the the worst of of us. He uses for His glory and for you know I, I've told people so many times that and this offends people because you know it's a Calvinistic uh, understanding that I've told people so many times that God is perfectly willing to put any Christian in any situation He wants to put them in. No matter how bad it is, so that someone will come to know Christ by His divine power and His His Spirit, that He's willing to do that, and and, and He is capable of doing that for His glory. Yeah. And and I'll tell you that that's just such a great story. Uh, well, you know, it's like, it's like humble Clay said here is, you know, don't give up, never give up. Amen. And and you know, Nicholas in the in the private chat is saying thanks for sharing, Anthony. This is. Uh, how I've been praying for my family. He, he earlier said, my, my eyes are fighting back tears right now. Um, yeah. Mine too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, folks, I, you know, I do know, I mean, I, I've, I've shared the gospel with Anthony's father. I've shared the gospel with his father-in-law. Um, both, both men are, were, are, were hard to share the gospel with. <laughs> Clearly, it, they heard it before, <laughs> before I got there for sure. Um, but, this is the thing I want to leave as a parting encouragement. We can sit and look at all the things that have been taken away from us this the last 12 months, or we can choose to look at what Christ is doing in yeah. the last 12 months. Yeah. And and that's that's the perspective I want to leave you guys with. Just just to think about we're we're getting we're going to move into a period where many of us think that it's going to be a very dark time. Yeah, I do. Um but the one thing I would say is this. You choose what you're going to do. Are you going to focus on what you've lost out on? What you, what you don't have anymore? What you, the comforts you want to have? Or are you going to focus on what Christ is doing here on earth? That's the thing. Um, let me just real quick, just uh, to let you guys know, we, we could use your support at Striving for Eternity. If you would like to support us, just go to strivingforeternity.org slash, uh, actually, it's donate or donation. I got to I gotta check that. I think they, the new website has it as donation, I believe. But just go to, to strivingforeternity.org and there's a uh, support us or donate button at the top. Um, we would appreciate that. Uh, you know, the, COVID has been a tough year. And if, if you're finding value out of this ministry, out of what we're, we're putting together and the materials we have, the things we do, if you get value out of that, would you consider supporting us? The reality is, is things are getting tougher to do ministry, and it's going to continue. And you're going to see a lot of ministries that are going to fold because they're they're just not going to want to put up with the pressure. Um, But we want to produce good material to, to equip you guys for the future we think is coming. And we can only do that with help. Uh, with your help. So if you'd consider donating, just go to strivingforeternity.org and there is a support SFE button at the top or menu uh, and just click on that and that will take you to the page where you can support us monthly. would be great because we do have monthly expenses, um, but if you could support us, that would be wonderful. And until next time, just remember to make to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. See you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.